All right, y'all, so we're going to read from 1 John 3, um, 2 to 3. We're reading from the NIV version. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, E. All right, end of February, you guys. So this is the last session in our Turn Away from the Flesh, Turn Towards the Spirit. Next month, we get into uh, Turn Away from the Devil to the Holy Spirit. So we're going to be talking about the bad guy and Jesus, who has crushed him completely and totally, all for the month of March. So if you would, uh, let's pray, and we'll get right into it this morning. Holy Father, we just honor and exalt you. And as we wrap up a a month of meditation on this ongoing battle that the Christian has with the flesh, we ask, Lord, for great power to be poured out in our spirits and by your spirit that we would be a people of revolutionary joy. Each of these souls gather here this morning hungry, aching, some looking for what they don't even know they need. Others, Lord, desperate. And so meet us where we are. Meet us in this place with love, a divine encounter of love, a divine, Lord, conversation with you. Just with eyes closed, I would invite you now to posture your heart and mind in a place of openness, just as best you can. Your Father sees you. Your Father knows what you need. Can you, today, a little more deeply, in this session, in this teaching, can you rest in that? Your Father already has good works for you to walk in. He knows every thought, every word, every deed, and loves you infinitely. Can you rest in that just a little bit? And allow this sermon, this teaching, to be a dialogue with your Creator a moment of interaction, a meeting with him here with God's people where we are one together. Spirit of God, bless this time in Jesus' name. All of God's people said, amen. My friends, this is uh, Anthony Ray Hinton. <laughs> that, that, that face. I was utterly floored, and you can just leave that up for a, Dan, for, for a little bit, Daniel. I was, I was utterly floored by an interview that I listened to him uh, with this past week. And when I looked up him, because I was listening to his voice, this was the first photo that I found. And I just, I, I could not believe the man's joy, uh, his presence just coming through in this photo. And I'll be honest, I started to cry when I looked at this man's face. In 1985... Anthony was arrested on false charges of robbery and murder in Birmingham, Alabama. Detective Doug Agker, the lead in the investigations, said to Hinton prior to his trial, I don't care whether you did it or didn't do it. In fact, I believe you didn't do it. It doesn't matter. If you didn't do it, one of your brothers did, and you're going to take the rap. Anthony then went on to be represented by a designated attorney who made no real attempts to defend him. He was found guilty by an all-white jury and sentenced to death in the state of Alabama. Hinton was then sent to solitary confinement, where he existed in a five-by-seven cell 
with no windows, on death row, as an innocent man, for 28 years. Later, faulty ballistics evidence and discoveries on the corrupt processes that had imprisoned Hinton eventually brought his case by appeal to the Alabama Supreme Court. In 2015, Anthony Hinton was exonerated by a unanimous per curiam decision, which means the entirety of the court wrote to free him. And in his 2018 memoir, The Sun Does Shine, How I Found Life and Freedom on Death Row, he tells of his personal struggles of despair and terror and forsakenness, but ultimately of resilience and reconciliation and hope and love. Now, this man's voice, listening to him, he is as joyful as his appearance. And what I noted was throughout the conversation with the interviewer, he referenced his faithful Christian mother who died while he was on death row. But his faithful Christian mother who trained him in the ways of love and prayer and forgiveness and ultimate hope through trust in Jesus in the midst of deeply racially divided South. Hinton's faith in Jesus Christ saturates his story. He went on in this interview and he recounted the stories of 54 executions that he listened to because his cell was 30 feet from the execution room. 22 suicides occurred while he was there on death row. And he said to his interviewer, I realized I couldn't lose hope while in there because I got to survive. To this day, I tell people, you wake up every morning and you have a choice. It's entirely up to you but at least you have a choice. Even on death row, every day, I had a choice. We have a choice. This morning, no matter what our circumstances or frustrations, our unmet expectations, our personal unanswered prayers, every day, right now, we have a choice about who we are becoming. Day by day, month by month, year by year, Anthony Ray Hinton chose the way of Jesus. He never succumbed, though he could have so easily, to hatred, to bitterness, to despair, to what St. Paul would say is the flesh. As I listened to the joy in this man's voice, so heavily weighted with unbearable injustice and deep agony and loss, I heard and in my spirit, I felt the almost unbelievable beauty and power of a human being truly living in the spirit. Now, as we read for our final meditation and giving, or excuse our final liturgy for Black History Month that Shua wrote for us, we, we prayed it together. No one but you can breathe life and value into the human soul, and no one can take it away. Let us see in the story of our black brothers and sisters your heart that weeps with those who weep and rejoices in their victory. I'm closing our February meditations with this story about Anthony, not to make this room all heavy, and I'm certainly not sharing this story so that we sit in our seats saying, see, he's, he's joyful, and he was on death row. I feel so bad about my own circumstances. Mine are nothing in comparison to that. Listen, the Lord does not diminish our personal pain this morning, and he certainly does not mock it. But Hinton's story underlines and it bolds this incredible truth. We are becoming one of two people, no matter our circumstances. People of the flesh, full of anger and rage, lust, dissatisfaction and despair, or people of the Spirit, full of love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness. Stories like Anthony's, they are bright lights in a very dark world. 
and he illuminates God's grace and goodness for us. These types of stories, they point us to a hope this morning that's not just off in some distant future when we arrive in the by and by, but is a present power beyond our wildest imaginations for us today. I personally learned much from Anthony Ray Hinton this past week about life in the spirit and what we can be, what we will be as we make the daily choice to love God and be loved by God. And that is our final meditation to wrap up this month of February, what our flesh will be. We're just gonna take 30 minutes here and take a look into a future certain reality that radically shapes our present moment. So by way of quick review, and for those of you folks that haven't been with us through this series, flesh, sarks is the Greek word in Paul. Especially in the mind of Paul, sarks, flesh, is a technical term. It's a sort of shorthand describing that part of our being as Christians that goes on living in rebellion against God, even after we've committed our lives to him, have been regenerated, as the old language, filled with the Holy Spirit, made new. Those of us who are trying to follow Jesus are dealing with this old flesh, this old man. The flesh is governed by inborn sin. It is corrupted. It is incapable of submitting to God. It's gnarly. The flesh is driven along by the inertia of a lifetime of broken patterns and self-destructive habits and wounds and traumas and memories and pursuits of the wrong things in the wrong ways and deceived beliefs. So for you and I, the Christians in this room, there are now two yous in conflict with each other. There's the old you, the old man, as Paul calls it, and the new you, an entirely new creation whose deepest desires, I mean underneath all the shallow desires, underneath all the worldly desires, your deepest desires as a Christian are aligned by God through the Holy Spirit. There is a you that is becoming fully you, fully human, a perfect you that is beginning to emerge, a just as Jesus was perfect you that is being created by the Holy Spirit, tended to and formed through the lifetime in which we live until we see him face to face. So through a lifelong process, as we learned last week, of practices and disciplines, we slow the inertia. We even stop the inertia of the flesh to some degree The desires of the flesh are stilled, turned away from, resisted, so that we might align ourselves with the desires of the Holy Spirit and live that out. And the great promise of Christianity is that in every sense, in the most real sense, this transformation is a finished work. Could I just get a smile from all of you? This is a finished work. It's done. The perfect you, perfect as Jesus is you, already exists because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us 2,000 years ago in the resurrection, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Past, it's already done. And future, mysteriously, miraculously, it's already done. We will make it. I'm telling you, 26 years of walking with Jesus, this is one of my greatest hopes. I sat on the couch this morning at 5.30 a.m., weeping with joy over you and myself, knowing that I'm going to make it. This train wreck that is Dan, this chaos that I am, is going to make it. I am, we are going to be fully transformed in glory because of what Jesus Christ has done and the unceasing, never stopping, unconditional work of the Holy Spirit who will never, ever leave us, never give up on us, never stop working for us and through us. 
St. Paul, in his letters to his communities dotting Asia Minor, the Jesus communities, he toggles back and forth in all of his letters between this heaven and earth focus. He looks at the then and he looks at the now in his instructions to his communities in the first century. What Paul does is he focuses on future realities because they have real power in this present moment. He says things like this in Ephesians chapter 1, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms, heavenly future, but present as well with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Future blessings now available to you and I as we're sitting here in our seats listening to this teaching. In the miracle of Christianity, we're there already. We are already seated and blessed in Christ right now. So Paul says to the Philippians, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Let that settle your heart this morning in your struggle. He who began the good work in you, whatever you're wrestling with, whatever you're fighting against, whatever you're resisting and resonating with, he will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Paul was certain that God would finish what he had begun in saving us. And I want you guys to note again, so important, especially in a church like Neighbors. This is just kind of our thing. It's kind of our shtick every single week. It's not just you, cute little you there in your seat where your little soul's being worked on by God. It is that, but Paul here uses plurals. Most of the New Testament is written in plurals to you all. In other words, Paul is saying he is confident that we will become fully us, us together, a fully loving community in the triune community of God forever. And Paul's confidence was based on the fact that it's God himself that is doing this work within us. It's not necessarily our effort. Our effort is exerted to let God do what he wants to do in us. That's not Yoda speak. That's Christianity. Does that make sense? Our effort is exerted to let God be God and do what he wants to do in us. For it is God, Philippians 2.13, who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Breathe with me. Right now, He's working in you. Right now, he's speaking to you. Right now, he's indwelling you. Right now, he's guiding you. Right now, he's convicting you. Right now, he's comforting you. Right now, it is God who is working out his will in this world, through you, for you, us together in this room. And so for Paul, one of the most important and powerful factors in the present time for us to become the loving, joyful, humble, gentle, faithful, generous souls that we were created to be to cultivate creation, Paul said there is this necessary focus on the certainty of our future selves that will empower our present moment. Since then you have been raised with Christ, future and present. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Okay. In some sectors of the Christian church, it has become somewhat faux pas. It's embarrassing at best and detrimental at worst for the Christian community to focus too much on life after death, or the end game. Thank you, Left Behind, for all those embarrassing movies. Yes, that's our family. Yes, that's our team. I'm sorry about that. We just don't do a good job with the media thing. That's all there is to it. These sectors of Christianity, they say too much focus on heaven, too much focus on the future life. That's going to create an escapist mentality. And it actually, for a lot of Christians, relieves the burden of responsibility on the here and now off of our shoulders because, you know, we're going to escape all this. No doubt about it. No about it. There's no doubt about it. 
There have been theological constructs and systems, especially over the last 100 years, especially in the United States, theological ideas within Christian theology that have indeed created an escapist, we're just waiting to get out of here and let it all burn mentality. But listen to me, that does not reflect a biblical understanding, a healthy and robust biblical understanding of how our present realities and the future realities should be influencing one another in this biblical framework of the present. So let me just try to capture this big idea of future is now, now is future in just a couple sentences. You and I are becoming right now what we will be in eternity. That should have some gravity in the room. What we are in eternity, in this mysterious cosmic economy of God, what we are in eternity is influencing our present reality. What we do now influences what we will do in eternity. Remember, in Christianity, heaven and earth, future and present, it's porous. It's back and forth. It's a dotted line. It's not a if-when. It's a right now, and it is. The flesh, the flesh, remember, is governed by hostility to God. It does not want God. And this, friends, is the core reality of the, what the Bible and Jesus Christ described as Gehenna or hell or Sheol, this ultimate separation from the Creator. Hell is eternal, hostile separation from God. It is a place where the human being has been so twisted and turned by sin, by Satan's lies, that it wants nothing to do with God forever. You don't go to hell because you did something wrong and God punishes you. People go to hell. The soul goes to hell because it does not want to go to God. It wants flesh. How many of us remember that scene from, uh, from Harry Potter? Let's do a little Harry Potter illustration. Harry Potter, Harry Potter has just been struck down by Voldemort. And he goes down, but... He has the resurrection stone, right? I know, spoiler alert, but listen, the statute of limitations is up on Harry Potter. I can spoil all of this for you if you haven't read it or seen it yet. Where have you been? <laughs> Voldemort, Avrakadabra, he kills him. And Harry wakes up in this sort of heavenly, vi heavenly vision of King's Cross train station there in London, and he, and he begins a conversation with his wise mentor, Dumbledore. And as he's moving towards Dumbledore, he notices underneath this bench, I think the movie depicts this really well, it was pretty disgusting, underneath the bench, and he goes and he glances underneath the bench, and there's this little baby bloodied Voldemort in fetal position. Everybody remember that? And Harry is taken aback, but you can also see as the character of Harry, the, the archetype of Harry is continually wanting to help even the worst of them. He's repulsed, and Dumbledore says to him, Harry, you, you can't help him, you wonderful boy. You brave, brave man. It's such a great scene. So they walk away from this bloodied fetal position, little dying baby Voldemort thing. And Harry asks, Professor, what is that? And Dumbledore's response was, something beyond either of our help. That's hell. That's hell. The flesh is driven by beliefs and behavior that eventually bring our entire being to a place beyond even the help of God because the soul and the flesh and the body no longer want God, no longer even want God's help. Now, think with me about this. Let's make a logical step here to actual sin in this present moment, in our bodies and in this world. If we were to list all the external behavioral sins that God says, no, no, don't do that. If we were to 
list those out found in the New Testament, things like lust and greed and lying, stealing, anger, murder, impatience, manipulation, all the external sins that God says, no, no, don't do that. What we would discover is that all of that sin is dehumanizing. It makes us less human, less heavenly, and less dependent on God. It makes us less than what we were intended to be. All of the external sins. God commands that we do not lust in eye or in heart. Why? Because it dehumanizes and corrupts the soul, and it dehumanizes the object of our lust. God commands patience because impatience embodies the impulsivity of a being that is not trusting in God in faithful obedience. Friends, you could do this. You could, I would encourage you to do this. You can go through, and with every sin in the Bible that you read externally, God's not looking at that saying, that's going to be way too much fun for you. If you do that, I'll punish you. That's not what's happening there. Every single one of the sins that we find listed throughout the entirety of the biblical narrative, God's saying, that will deform you, my child. That's going to make you bloodied and beaten and dead and fetally positioned, and you will not want me. This is the deception that the enemy introduced to all of creation and to the spirit and to the metaphysical and physical realities in the Garden of Eden. Now, we can do this with every sin in the Bible, and I want you guys to hear this very carefully. I'm going to nuance this very carefully because it requires a lot of abstract thinking. And I, again, I say this to you guys every Sunday. I require a lot of you as listeners, but I trust the spirit to, to build this idea in your hearts. These external sins, when we yield to them, in some degree, in, in some degree, we are embodying when we sin, we are embodying that moment of future hell in the present moment. Does that make sense? But remember, as a Christian, all of this is in matters of degree because you and I, as people of Jesus, we remember the objective truth that Jesus Christ absorbed all of our sin, all of our hell into himself to free us. And so though we will still go on sinning, heaven and our future selves are in Christ. Remember this objective, unchanging reality towards which we are progressing. Now listen, in same measure, every time, every single time, in this moment, in the middle of this sermon, you don't get caught up on this one abstract thought and you say, I'm going to depend on God right now to give me wisdom and to help me listen to what he's saying to me in this moment. In dependence on God, we choose the way of the Spirit by his power. In that moment, we are embodying heaven on earth through our physical being. Every moment. We, over the course of our lives, we are being taught and empowered and trained in embodying more and more heaven through ourselves by the power of the Spirit. Did everybody track with that? Have I lost anybody? Are we all, everybody's okay? Just a nod. It's simple. Okay, good. All right. This is why we have to focus on what we will be in the future because it radically shapes what we do in the present. So when we practice generosity, we are embodying the ultimate charity that we're going to be practicing in eternity. When we care for the poor, when we visit the imprisoned, when we adopt the orphan, when we take in the stranger, when we pray for the sick, we are embodying that perfect equity and justice of the future, but here and now in this present moment. When we turn from lust or covetousness, we are embodying the satisfaction and the contentment of our heavenly selves in the present. This is what Lewis, the brilliant C.S. Lewis, was getting at when he said this. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other 
to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics, all politics through 2024. There are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. So we remember from last week's teaching, as there we are in our seats listening to the Spirit through these texts, through these quotes, if you find in your body right now a longing for heaven, I want to embody more heaven. I want to embody more of the kingdom of God in this world. I want to be a more loving, gentle, kind, respectful, humble, meek individual, a more perfect self like Jesus was a perfect human. You have this desire to overcome these sins and progress in obedience to holiness. Remember from last week, that means you're well on your way. The desire itself is a mark that the spirit is at work in you and you're going to make it. You and I are going to make it. Take solace in that. Rejoice in that. Let that empower your day today. We're going to make it to, to splendor. So Paul says, set your mind on what will be. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So let's close with this question. What exactly will we be? What is, it, what, is, what is it that we're going to be in the future? What is our flesh becoming? Just a couple final biblical truths to meditate on as we close this entire month's theme of meditating uh, on, the, on turning from the flesh to the spirit. Number one, we will be resurrected in real bodies just like Jesus. We are going to be resurrected in real bodies just like Jesus. One of the primary texts for this is found in the book of 1 Corinthians. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul Paul is answering a whole series of questions that were asked by the Jesus community there in the city of Corinth. And in the 15th chapter, Paul takes on questions about the future resurrection. The church in Corinth is asking him, well, what is this going to be like? Who are we going to be? How does this go down? And so Paul begins to answer those questions. But someone will ask, 1 Corinthians 15, 35, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? So then Paul goes on, and, and Paul sometimes gets a little bit snarky. If you read through this passage, he gets a little bit snarky with the Corinthian church. But he goes on to explain that these bodies, they're going to be the same, but different. They're going to be discontinuous in that we won't continue on in the way that we are right now, but they are also going to be continuous. They're going to continue in some measure the way that we are right now. His point being, Paul says, we're going to have these bodies, but we will exist in real bodies. We will not exist in some disembodied soul state, floating on the clouds, playing harps, wrapped up in white robes with little naked babies flying around. As I've said many times at this church, that sounds absolutely awful. That is not what eternal life is going to be. We are going to have real, touchable, tangible, uh, big word, corporeal, like real body, a real body in which we're going to be existing. Paul talks about, in that section there in 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about different kinds and types of bodies. And he says that when this physical body that we exist in now, remember we're embodied souls, we're not just trying to escape these bodies, we are embodied souls, we are enfleshed souls. When this body, whatever this thing is that is Dan, goes into the grave, Paul says it's going to be this thing, this beautiful thing that God loves, this fleshy soul thing that God loves, it's going to go into the ground and it becomes like a seed. And there that seed gives birth to a whole new type of body that is Dan. Corporeal, touchable, tangible, spiritual, metaphysical, and physical. Paul says, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. 
The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is a spiritual body. More on that here in just a moment. Thomas Aquinas is considered one of the greatest thinkers of church history, uh, 13th century Catholic theologian. Aquinas said that our resurrected bodies will have four characteristics. Number one, they'll be impassable. Class, can you say impassable? Impassable. All that means is beyond suffering. That's what we're all looking forward to. No more tears. Can't wait to get to that. I'm tired of my knee and my foot hurting me every single day, all this stuff. Agile. That is, Aquinas said he learned from the text, particularly from Jesus in the New Testament, that our resurrected bodies will be able to move about freely. We'll be able to walk. Uh, we'll be able to um, do whatever it is that we did in this life. They'll be subtle. What Paul meant by that, or what, excuse me, what Aquinas meant by that is that we won't be obstructed by material objects. More on that here in just a moment. Uh, we'll be able to travel about in ways that we weren't able to travel about here. And then he said that our eternal bodies, they will be clear. That is, they will shine with the light of heaven. We will be pure fire. We will be pure holiness. We will be pure light. Are any of you familiar with iconography? Iconography from the Eastern traditions. You see the, the old, they're the old paintings. You see the old paintings of, they usually have a halo over them and usually they're making like some sort of, like a Jesus gang symbol like this, like some little like symbol like this or like this. And you look through them, the iconographers would always paint those paintings in the ancient traditions with light coming through the face as a picture of what would be in the future. The halo, that's always an image. It's a symbol of the light that will come through our resurrected bodies. And you're looking through, you're not worshiping the icon, but you're looking through into eternity as you pray for your eternal body to come. Impassable, agile, subtle, clear. Because you and I are in Jesus, we will be resurrected as Jesus was. And so if we want to know this morning what an imperishable, glorified, empowered spiritual body looks like, just go read all the post-resurrection accounts in the gospel. Whatever body Jesus had, that's the body we're going to have. He, in the gospels, after resurrection, he is present. He is physical. One of my favorite things about Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, he's always like, I need some food. Give me some food. Let's sit down and let's eat. And so he would enjoy food, proving his physicality. He says to Thomas, here, touch me. I actually am a real person. I'm alive. If you don't believe that I'm alive, here, feel this. I'm not just some disembodied ghost. He's able to appear out of nowhere. He has to actually reveal his identity so somehow he can like disguise his identity or, he can, or they were just not, so not ready for a resurrected reality of a Christ that many of his followers, when they saw him, they didn't recognize him. So he has to reveal his identity uh, to them. And what's interesting is Jesus Christ bears the scars of crucifixion for the rest of eternity. What we did to him in our sin, he will bear for all of eternity. That's a fascinating truth to me. And so you and I, we will be raised like him. And to some degree, I think you and I will bear the scars of this life. Now, I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means I'm still going to be tattooed when kingdom comes. I, I really, I don't know. I've thought about this. I've asked Jesus a lot. You know, if I, I want to live, I want to live till I'm 120. That's kind of my goal. That's my prayer right now. If I live to 120, when I resurrect, will I have my 20-year-old self, my 20-year-old body, or will I have my 120-year-old body? We don't know. I can guarantee you none of you will recognize me because when I show up in heaven, I'm going to have a full head of hair. It's just going to be like Samson's locks. I'm going to be like, you know, an 80s metal hairband guy. Thank you, Jesus. The reality is the Bible does not talk a lot about the interim state nor the eternal state. 
It just gives us these glimpses. We don't know. What we do know is that we'll be like Jesus. Imperishable, glorious, powerful, spiritual, impassable, agile, subtle, clear. And note that spiritual thing, that's a very unfortunate way of translating that, especially in the Western mind. When Paul says we're going to have spiritual bodies, he doesn't mean spiritual, ethereal ghost. What he means is we will finally fully be in the Spirit forever. Forever we will only be empowered by the Spirit. We will only think with the Spirit. We will only be one with the Spirit in the Father, in the Son, delighting in their glory forever. This is what we are praying for now, learning to trust in, learning to train our bodies to live out by these processes and practices that we orient this church around. Number two, and we're almost done. We will be not only like Jesus in body, but we will be like Jesus in belief and behavior. Not only will our physical, spiritual bodies be like Jesus, but our beliefs and our behaviors will be perfected just like Jesus as well. Here's how St. John puts it in his letter to his community. Dear friends, 1 John 3, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. So there's still mystery. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Future purity, purify now. We're not given the details on this resurrected state, but John says what we do know is when we see him, we're going to see him as he is, and we're going to be like him. At the epicenter of heaven, at the epicenter of heavenly reality, is going to be this unmitigated, unclouded vision of God. John says that we shall see him. We, we, we shall see Jesus face to face in the Father and in the Son, in this beautiful dance called the Trinity. We shall see him as he is. There will be no more foggy mirror. There will be no more curtain. There will be no more unfocused vision. We shall see Jesus and his gaze upon us perfectly, and the Father's gaze, and the Spirit's gaze, and we will gaze back upon them in this eternal dance of delight and affection and beauty and love. Heaven is heaven because humanity and holiness exist in perfect union forever in God as we see each other throughout all of eternity. My doctoral program that I'm in right now, they've got me reading a bunch of Edwards. I haven't read Edwards in like 15 years, and I have forgotten how brilliant Jonathan Edwards was. I quoted him last week. Got to give you some more this week. Edwards, Edwards, of all the Puritan theologians, he probably had the most beautiful and firm grasp on how meditation on the future self shapes our present self, on how meditation of this beautiful image and sight of God forms our sight here and now with delight and pure glory. He understood these concepts in the context of seeing God. Edwards taught, based on scriptural revelation, that heaven is a place where you and I are going to be forever discovering more and more beauties and glories of God. So like right now, we look at the cross and we say, oh man, I see that God is loving and merciful. Somehow, some way, like layers of an eternal onion, a Trinitarian eternal onion, we are going to see God and his goodness and his provision and his protection layer by layer for all of eternity, and it will never end. Right when we think, I think I've seen all that there is of the goodness of God towards my soul, his ravished love for me, his care for me, his protection of me, his purposes. Right when we think we've seen it all, another layer is going to peel off and we're going to just for another trillion years, be like, whoa, so good. I love you guys. No, I love you over and over and over and over. And somehow in that context, we in our corporeal touchable bodies will be ruling and reigning and cultivating creation, a physical metaphysical creation for the rest of eternity. 
it's just too big. The scope is too big. The, 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 the thought, the meditation is too big to get our heads around. All I know is I, I feel light when I think about these things. When I meditate, and this is what Edwards was getting out getting about, thinking about these things, meditating on these things, transforms us in the present moment. Because we will see God as he is. We'll discover more and more of his goodness and wisdom and joy and love forever as we gaze on him and as he gazes back at us. Now, this eternal gaze, we're almost done, this eternal gaze of the saints upon God is what has traditionally been called the beatific vision. Doesn't that sound nice? The beatific vision. The beatific vision. So the sages of Christianity throughout Christian history, history they, they have taught that this vision of eternal discovery of God, it is what the soul longs for, and it is what will finally bring satisfaction. Let me just do something here for just a moment. What do you long for right now? What's your, as far as you can feel it in your body, this is what I desire more than anything. What is it? Underneath that is this longing to see God seeing you in every single thing. Your soul longs to see God seeing you. Said another way, to see God and behold him and be held by him as he gazes back at us, this is the goal of humanity and creation. And there we will be forever and perfectly happy. Edwards actually, I love this. Edwards called the process of meditating on God's love and contemplating our future selves, he called that process Happifying. Happifying. And so as we digitally fast through the season of Lent, God is inviting us to happify our souls by looking more earnestly for him, seeing him with the eyes of faith more deeply and more truly. And so the saints, we understand in heaven, now have no unmitigated, clouded vision of God. They are, as Edwards called them, pure fire because they are attuned to their ultimate and eternal purpose, which is to see God, seeing them, being loved, and loving each other as they cultivate creation. Existing according to our created design is what makes us truly happy. As hard as this is to get our heads around, as late Western moderns, with all of our dreaming and our manifesting and taking control, the reason you exist is to, to experience God loving you and to love him back. That's why you exist. Underneath all of your pursuit is the pursuit of seeing God seeing you and you seeing him. You just got to meditate on that. You got to give that more than a 20-minute sermon. You got to give that the rest of your life. What does it mean that I was designed to see God seeing me and there be happified forever, satisfied forever? It's through practices and meditation and contemplation that we come to understand that God has created us to know him and to love him. And it is in that existence that the height of satisfaction and delight and happiness comes about. Underneath all of our looking for wealth and success and security and admiration and acceptance is the true undercurrent of every single human endeavor. It's to look upon God, to see his admiration, his protection, his provision, and his love for us. And I, I pastorally pray, rest in that this morning, church. Take a deep breath into your body and just for a moment try to experience yourself being gazed upon by God seen and loved and cared for and never left you are going to make it because of that gaze of love he wants you to see him we're going to spend the rest of our life whether on death row or in sunny San Diego making daily choices where we can choose to see this life 
Friends, listen to me. This year, today, we can go out and we can choose to see this life through our temporal lenses as if this is all there is. And I'm telling you, when you look at this world as if this is all there is through a temporal lens, all we see is cruelty and injustice and perversion and humans embodying hell everywhere we look. Or the Christian community can, by choice, through practice and prayer and presence with each other and the scriptures and life together, we can choose to see through the lens of eternity. And in so doing, the Christian community is able to part the clouds ever so slightly and our blurred vision becomes just a little more focused and we begin to see God. We first see God wounded and war torn on the cross to save us from ourselves. But then you begin to see God everywhere. And I'm not just some weird hippie from Idaho. <laughs> this is Christian theology. I, I, have mo- I have moments where my wife and I will be going out for a walk and there's these purple flowers in our neighborhood that some of our neighbors grow and they literally look like a firework going off. They're so vibrant in color. You can feel the color shouting praise to God because you begin to see God through creation. A hummingbird will come down and buzz right over this little squirrel during the summers that sits right over my head and chirps at me while I'm trying to pray. I see the delight and the laughter, God like kind of having fun with me there in that moment and through the scriptures. And on a Sunday morning, as we look at each other and we see each other as human beings just trying to live out this life to see the future, there we see the beginnings of that beatific vision. All of humanity as one in holiness with God. We can choose every day to frame our life and our world through God's promises of protection and deliverance, of purpose, purpose that is his, purpose to see him seeing us. And as we do that, the last thing we want to do is escape this place. When you begin to see through the beatific vision, you don't want to escape. You want to help and heal in the way that you've been helped and healed. The longer and the deeper we look at the vision of God seeing this world and this broken world before him, the more we're like, I want to be an agent of healing here. I want to be a balm to the wounds of those around me. This is life in the spirit. Turn from the flesh, live in the spirit. Look away to what we're going to be and let it infuse you with great hope and unwavering joy today. This beatific vision, somehow, some way, begin to pray and meditate and, and in earnest, especially through Lent, begin to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, how can this beatific vision happify my life? It's what we all want, right? This present reality. Because every single decision that we make where we say, I want to see God seeing me in this moment as I worship him and love him, heaven comes a little closer to earth in that moment through you. And soon and very soon, we are going to resurrect in these impassable, clear, agile bodies. And we're going to see each other forever, seeing God, seeing us. And I know I joke. But I'm going to have really long hair. (laughs) Fabulous long hair. Because God is good. Because God is good. And I guarantee you, my king will look at me and say, you are so beautiful, my son. And I will say, no, you're so beautiful. And we together will look at each other and say, you're so beautiful. And he'll look at us and say, you're so beautiful. And we'll look at him and say, you're so beautiful. This interaction of love. And then we'll just discover more and more and more and more and more. You're going to make it. 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 Today, when we take communion, you're going to make it. He's already done it. Father, we turn away from the flesh. We look to your spirit and worship and praise and adoration. 
these grand and noble and abstract thoughts that are so hard for us in this age of X and Twitter, short sound bites, anger and rage, so hard for us to get our heads around. But I pray for my community. She is so beautiful, so, so yielded. May these souls this day be given a glimpse of you gazing upon them, not with anger or rage or shame, but gazing upon each of them as they are, tending to them, loving them, nurturing them. Give them a vision of themselves in eternity. Perfect, humble, gentle, queens and kings, ruling creation, judging angels, bearing the load of the cosmos in gentleness and benevolence and kindness and sacrifice. And I pray that in this life, in this church, Father, we would be you all together. You bringing to completion in this church in concert with all the churches in San Diego, all the churches of the West Coast, all the churches of the world. Bring us together in common unity, in communion around the cross and the resurrection in these last days. Lord, bring revival and renewal in your church, this beatific vision that makes all well and happifies, happifies the soul and heals the world. In Jesus' name, let's all stand.